how do we lead our people through the controversial topics, both in the church and in the culture today? Pastor Robert Jeffers is our guest this week discussing how leaders should lead through difficult times. It's all in episode 41 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 41 of the Church Leaders Podcast. This week, I'm excited to bring you a great conversation I had with Pastor Robert Jeffress. Pastor Jeffress is the pastor of the 11,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He also uh, has a radio and television program called Pathway to Victory and is a prolific author. And we asked Pastor Jeffress to come and, and to share with us about how he leads his people in a world where there's ISIS and different political debates and all kinds of controversial topics today. How do you lead your people when the times are tough, when there are things that are unclear? And uh, we think you'll really enjoy his perspective and the clarity that he brings. Uh, Now, here's our conversation with Pastor Robert Jeffress. Well, Dr. Jeffress, thank you so much for being on the Church Leaders Podcast. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You know, you are a pastor at First Baptist Dallas, a large uh, church, and uh, you have a great platform on television. You've had the opportunity uh, to represent Christians on a lot of controversial topics of the day. You know, we live in controversial times, and what are important ways that leaders need to be prepared to lead, especially when when there are controversies everywhere, it seems? Well, I think the most important thing those of us who are leaders, and especially pastors, can do is to equip our people with the truth. You know, First Peter 3.15 says, we need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. And I think perhaps the greatest influence we have as pastors is with our own congregation, because they're being assaulted at the workplace, in school as students, in their neighborhoods, on the school board, everywhere with non-Christian ideas. And we've got to give them the ammunition they need, not only to solidify their own beliefs personally, but to be able to share those beliefs with others and be the salt that Jesus commanded us to be in Matthew 5.13. And as you talk about being salt, uh, I think a lot of Christians misunderstand what, what salt really means, because we think of, when I think of saltiness, I think of the opposite of love. How do you reconcile those two concepts? Well, first of all, in Jesus' day, salt was a preservative. It wasn't something you put on the meat to increase your blood pressure. It was in order to preserve meat. And interestingly, you know, salt did not prevent the decay of meat, but it delayed the decay of the meat. It gave the meat a longer shelf life. And one reason Jesus has left his people here on this uh, decaying uh, planet is so that we could be a preservative. It's not that we're going to prevent the rot. Eventually, this world is going to rot away. Eventually, God's going to destroy it. But in some inexplicable way, we are able to delay the decay, the rot of this world, to give this world longer so that people have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for salt to do its job, it can't remain in the salt shaker. It has to get out of the shaker, and it has to penetrate the meat. And I'm afraid that too many pastors have led their people to become involved in what I call silo spirituality, where we say, well, you know, our Christian beliefs are good for us and our families and maybe our church, but we have no right to impose Christian values on a secular 
uh, audience in a secular world. Where in the world did we come up with such an idiotic idea? Jesus said assault, we're to permeate this culture, we're to try to prevent the premature destruction of this society so that we have longer to do the second thing Jesus said in Matthew 5:14, and that is to be light, to share with people the light of Jesus Christ so that they could be saved from God's coming judgment. And I know that you spend a lot of time sharing into the culture. You, you're on, um, you know, Fox and all kinds of like all these uh, political shows and stuff. As you've pastored there at First Baptist Dallas, what, how has that kind of emerged? And, and how have you thought about that? Those opportunities that you have. Well, you know, I am. Uh reminded of something of uh, a friend of mine who used to be an associate of the late Jerry Falwell told me about a time when Dr. Falwell was on this interview program. He was just getting beaten up and beaten up. And finally they got back in the car and this associate said, Dr. Falwell, why do you put yourself through that? And he said, just think about it. I just got for the last four minutes to share God's truth with millions of people, and it didn't cost us a cent to do it. (laughs) And I think, you know, that's the attitude I have. I mean, God has provided that platform for me, but every pastor has a platform, not only in his church, but in his community, whether it's to the local, you know, letters to the editor, wherever we are, I think we're to be influencers. You know, uh, look at the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, or in the New Testament at John the Baptist and even Jesus himself. They didn't just talk to God's own people. They were willing to confront an ungodly culture and ungodly leaders and say, thus saith the Lord. And I think prophets, yes, are evangelists. They are teachers. They are shepherds. But I think many pastors have forgotten that they are prophets as well, prophets to the world, not just to God's own people. Yeah, and I think as as you talk about prophets, one of the things that the prophets did and in the all the the leaders that you just mentioned is they knew how to bear tension. You know, a lot of times leadership includes tension and I think sometimes we can slip into patterns where it's like, well, it's just easier if I avoid these tension points. Um, I think of Moses and his leadership and how there was just tension all the time. There were people that were not happy with him. And so how do you how do you bear that tension when there are well, I imagine that you receive feedback at times where people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a yes. Um, yeah. But, you know, I know there's times when it might be tension or even like just straight out criticism. Yeah. How do you, I mean, just even personally, how do you, how do you bear that? Well, you know, I, it absolutely has no effect on me at all, as long as I know I'm proclaiming God's truth. Now, if I'm proclaiming Robert Jefferson's opinion, well, that's a whole different matter. But, you know, uh, not long ago, I made national headlines for saying that Islam is a false religion, that it is inspired by Satan. You know, I went on to explain that every, every religion that offers another way to God except through Jesus Christ is inspired by Satan. It's a deception. Paul said Satan is an angel of light who tries to deceive people from the truth. Well, I mean, you can imagine the criticism I received, not just from non-Christians, but from Christians. I just got a letter today from a Presbyterian pastor in the Northeast. How could I say such a thing that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Well, that doesn't bother me at all, because I know I'm exactly preaching the gospel. So as long as we are basing what we're saying on God's Word, we shouldn't be depressed, (laughs) discouraged about criticism, 
but we shouldn't be surprised by it either. And I guess I'm I'm surprised at the number of pastors who are surprised when they preach the truth and everybody doesn't want to hug them for it. I mean, uh, you know, you look again at these prophets. They were many times uh, stoned, beaten, crucified for teaching the truth. And it does seem that a lot of times, you're exactly right, that we when we proclaim the gospel, we're surprised when people that don't agree with us, you know, get so upset, but that that is what, what biblically what we are shown to expect, um, that, that in this world we'll have trouble. I want to talk about uh, a, a book you have coming out, uh, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, and in it you focus on um, the exclusivity of the gospel. We talk about controversy, and we see, I think, a, a lot of people today want to be inclusive, want to be tolerant. Uh, We hear these buzzwords today in our culture. What led you to write this book? Well, the book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, the subtitle is Sharing an Exclusive Jesus in an Inclusive World. You know, as I have looked at what is happening in the culture, you know, we as Christians, we lost the gay marriage debate. And we lost it because we were outthought, we were outthought, and we were outmarketed on the issue. But we've lost that issue to the culture. We can continue to teach that truth to our own people, but we've lost it in the public square. But I'm concerned that we're getting ready to lose an even more foundational belief to Christianity than that. And the most foundational belief of all is that faith in Christ alone is the only way to heaven. You know, I share in my book a couple of polls, but one is most interesting, and that is 57% of evangelical church attenders believe that there's more than one way to God other than faith in Jesus Christ. We are in danger of losing the very basic doctrine of all Christian belief. And so that's why I wrote this book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, to equip individual believers about why this belief is essential, how it's uh, explained in Scripture, and most importantly, how we can share this truth with others in a bold and yet loving way. And as you talk to people, what are some of the reasons they give for, especially believers, what are some of the reasons that you hear why believers would say that there might be multiple roads to heaven? Well, one reason is they say, well, if there is only one way to heaven— then out of the 7 billion people in the world today, and only 25% of them can be cast, uh, uh, even categorized as Christian, only because of their nationality more than anything, that means billions and billions and billions of people are going to be in hell. Surely there are not going to be more people in hell than in heaven. How could so many sincere, righteous people be wrong? And yet, the, Jesus said exactly that. In Matthew seven thirteen and 14, he said the way to life is narrow, and few are those who find it, but the way to destruction is broad, and many are on that road. But, uh, you know, we have a culture in which we say, well, the majority is right. Well, not according to the Bible. The majority is usually wrong. And so that's an objection. Another objection a lot of people have to this idea that Christ is the only way to salvation is the whole belief that, well, that is hateful to tell people that. If you tell a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist that his religion is wrong, well, that is a hateful thing to say. You know, I tell people, look, if I were to say to you, follow me, there is one way out of this burning building you're in, is that a hateful thing to do? The only reason I would say, follow me out of this one exit is because, in fact, that was the only exit out of the burning building. And I would say that not because I hated you, but because I loved you. 
I think the reason most people stumble over that is they really don't believe what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In my book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, one of the chapters is entitled, The Intolerant Christ. You know, when we think about Jesus, there are a lot of words we think of, compassionate, kind, grace. Intolerant is not one of those words, but Jesus was very intolerant about some of his beliefs. And the most basic belief about which he had tremendous intolerance was the idea of the only way to escape destruction and spend eternity in heaven. And I think that a lot of times, as pastors are thinking about these issues and the challenges, I think we live in a day where people are hearing all kinds of messages in the world. Uh, They come to us on Sundays, and and they hear a sermon um, that's well-prepared, and they head out into the world, and they are bombarded with a lot of other ideas. And knowing that a shepherd, as as shepherds, our, our call is to protect the sheep and to really protect what, what are coming in. How do you, um, you know, I know you have a, a large congregation there at First Baptist Dallas. How do you protect um, your sheep when there's so many voices speaking into their lives? Well, the most important way I do it is through the preaching ministry, through the pulpit. You know, preaching has fallen on hard times, and people uh, in many churches today kind of see that as a necessary evil. The most effective outreach and ministry the pastor has is the pulpit to preach the word, to equip his people in turn to embrace and to share truth with others as well. And, you know, for example, the subject we're talking about in my book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, you know, most pastors would have a very difficult time answering some of the questions their parishioners have about this issue, such as, well, what about those who have never heard the gospel? What happens to them? Is it fair that God would send people to hell who have never heard about Jesus? And what about infants or small children or mentally challenged people who don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel? You know, what does the Bible say about that? And that's one reason I wrote this book, is to equip pastors so that they can in turn equip their people to answer what are the most important issues of all eternity, and that is what happens to people who die without trusting in Christ as Savior. So again, I think the pastor as the equipper is his most important role of all. Mm-hmm. And as you think about, I think one of the things that it seems like you're passionate about is is really encouraging pastors who you know may not be emphasizing certain topics in their ministry to to take up those things and say let's teach the entire counsel of God. What are a few of those topics that you feel like pastors today might be de-emphasizing that we need to again return to and start teaching? Well, I think, first of all, I think uh, certainly what we're talking about, the exclusivity of Christ, is absolutely uh, important. I think uh, inspiration of the Scripture. I mean, our people are being assaulted from the secular media and higher education by the idea that the Bible is just a book of collection of religious thoughts about God, but there's certainly no truth in it that can be banked on. Certainly, it is filled with errors. We need to ground our people in the belief that there, in fact, uh, is a Bible that we can trust in and equip them why they can believe that. I think one of the topics that's absolutely, completely neglected in Scripture is what the Bible says about the return of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Billy Graham said uh, two decades ago that the second coming of Jesus Christ is the most neglected doctrine in the church today. 
That was true 20 years ago. It's even more true today. And people who say, oh, well, the book of Revelation, my, my gosh, nobody can understand that, and it's completely irrelevant to my people's everyday life. You know, the book of Revelation is the only book of all of the Bible in which there is a special blessing for those who read and understand it. But a lot of pastors avoid that topic like the plague, and yet, you know, Second Peter says that truth ought to lead us to godly living and holy conduct. You know, uh, sexual purity, what the Bible says about sexual purity, about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I mean, a lot of pastors won't touch that because of the number of divorced people in the church. I mean, I believe we are told to teach the truth, not because we hate people, but because we want to love people and show them God's way. That's good. You know, another area where I see especially a lot of times you're called in to weigh in on um, political issues and how faith leaders view different issues going on in politics. And I think there's a lot of people in our audience who would probably say, you know, I stay away from politics. I will not talk about politics in the in the pulpit. Um, how do you how do you think about that in terms of instructing your people on how we should engage in you know some of these national debates? Well, um, I know as this program airs, we're in an election year. And uh, I would never try to tell my people for whom to vote. But I do talk about what are the Christian criteria that we ought to use to evaluate a candidate. I think it's very short-sighted to say that we shouldn't get involved in the political process. You know, the word politics comes from a Latin word that means to influence. When people say, well, Christians shouldn't get involved in politics, well, they're saying Christians shouldn't try to influence their culture. I don't know who believes that uh, and could say that with a straight face. You know, in the Old Testament times, it was the king who determined the spiritual direction of the nation. If it was a godly king, God blessed the nation. If it was an ungodly king, God cursed the nation. But you didn't get to vote for the king. But, you know, John Jay, the first chief justice of our Supreme Court, said God has given us in this Christian nation the privilege of choosing and selecting our leaders, and it is our duty as well as our responsibility to prefer and select Christians as our leaders. And every time we go into the voting booth, we're either casting a vote for righteousness or for unrighteousness. We are the ones who are determining the spiritual and moral direction of our country, and that's why I think Christians ought to get involved. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the topics, as, as we have this conversation that's really hot right now, is is what should uh, you know our government be doing about um, radical Islam, ISIS? And I know that's an issue that you've spoken publicly about. Um, without getting into that too much, how do you um, speak to your people on, on that topic? Yeah. Well, you know, right after the Paris attacks, I felt like it was, you know, happened on a Friday night and it was Sunday and I needed to address that. And so I gave about a six minute talk about what a Christian response should be to that. It's been downloaded by 600,000 people, I was told, the last count we had. Look, when we talk about issues like that, we have to separate our individual Christian responsibility and government's responsibility. As Christians, we have a responsibility to pray for all people, including radical Islamic terrorists. We ought to pray for Muslims. We ought to evangelize them, share the gospel with them. Uh, We ought to show uh, compassion toward refugees and support Samaritan's Purse. There's a whole uh, slew of things individually we ought to do as Christians. Government has a different responsibility. Government is never commanded in the Bible to forgive 
or to turn the other cheek. Instead, Romans 13 says government is a minister of God to bring wrath upon those who practice evil. So a military government response to uh, secure our nation, that's government's responsibility. We as individual Christians have a different responsibility. I like that, and I think that that's something that sometimes we try to blend those two, and that's what can make that issue so challenging, is thinking that those are always going to be the same, and that there are times in the Christian life where, as individual Christians, we're contending for one thing, but also supporting our government in in bringing justice. Um, that's right. That's right. And calling on government to do their job and protect its citizens, that's not non-Christian. But we're not the ones who are to do it. We can call on government to do that as well. You know, there's a Pew report that uh, just came out showing that, you know, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. You know, 23% of the world is Muslim right now, but by the end of the century, there will be more Muslims than Christians. Well, what should be our response to that? Well, as individual Christians, our response is, hey, this is a great reason for us to share the gospel with as many Muslims as we can. Government may have a different response on how they respond to the growing Muslim population. We just have to understand, are we talking about individual Christians in the church, or are we talking about government? You know, and that leads me to th- thinking about those who are preparing for ministry. I know that you uh, teach um, at the Dallas Theological Seminary and, and are working to prepare future leaders, um, as you work with tomorrow's leaders, uh, men and women who are training to to continue leading God's people, what are the unique challenges uh, that you, you feel called to prepare them to face? I'm not sure how many challenges are really unique. Yes, our world is getting more and more secular. There's no doubt about that. In a way, I think there's something healthy about that. Uh, I think uh, the the dividing line between believers and unbelievers is becoming more sharply defined right now, and it provides a great opportunity. But I would just say, you know, to all those who are involved in ministry, the greatest danger I see today is the danger of underplaying and really not understanding that the power for ministry is in the Word of God. It's not in how clever I am or in what ministry techniques I develop or what the latest fad is that I follow. The only thing that is going to change a person's life and change the world is the Word of God. And uh, we have, as our uh, vision statement at First Baptist Dallas, transforming the world with God's Word one life at a time. And I just uh, would say to anybody listening to this podcast, you know, don't forget Paul's basic instruction to Timothy, preach the Word. That's where the power is, when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change people. That's a good word. And I think, you know, just keeping that the main thing the main thing. Um, there are so many things to focus on. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I was, I'm a seminary grad myself, and I remember all of the different things that were covered and things that we learned and studied. And I love the simplicity of that, like focus on the Word of God, focus on faithfully um, preaching the whole counsel of God, and that will that will keep you on, on the right path. Um, Absolutely. Referring back to your book, you have a section at the end that I really enjoyed. I thought you, you titled it Simple Answers to Complex Questions. And basically, you're dealing with some of the questions that you hear. And one of those is people saying exclusivity encourages hatred towards people of other faith. And I think that's one thing that a lot of believers are sensitive to. We never want to come across as hateful or 
mean-spirited, and, and people are very sensitive to that. Uh, can you tell us about how, how you respond to people that bring up that question? Well, again, the best way to answer that question, and I do this in this book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. Uh, I recount a story about being on an airplane you know, years ago with a guy, and we got into this discussion, and he told me, he said, you know, the reason I cannot embrace Christianity is this belief that there is only one way to heaven. And I said, well, just imagine that this plane crashed. And then I had to lower my um, voice because the flight attendant gave me a dirty stare. So I went from my preacher voice to my normal voice. And I said, just imagine that this plane crashed and the cabin began filling up with smoke. And that flight attendant up there started waving her flashlight saying, follow me. There's one way out of this plane. Would you accuse her of being hateful? Would you say she was being intolerant because she insisted there's only one way out of this burning aircraft? The only reason she would say that is because, in fact, there was only one way out of this aircraft. And it's the same thing when we tell people that there's only one way to escape this burning planet and escape destruction and reach heaven, and it is through faith in Jesus Christ. We say that to people because we love them, not because we hate them. And I'm telling you, every time I share an illustration like that, there's no response to it because there really is no answer to that. It makes sense to people. And uh, we have just got to remind people that when we say there's only one way to heaven, we're not making that up. We're not creating that belief. We're simply echoing the belief of what Jesus himself said. That's really good. And, and Dr. Jeffers, I love to ask leaders like you the question, who are some of your leadership heroes or mentors, people that you look up to? You know, it's, it's always God brings so many people into our lives yeah. that kind of to lead us and guide us. So are the people that come to mind as you think about that question? Well, I just turned 60, and the bad thing about turning 60 is your mentors are starting to die. And my, mm. my, my two greatest mentors are both in heaven now. One was uh, the pastor of the church I pastored for 50 years. I grew up in my church, First Baptist Dallas here. And that was Dr. W.A. Criswell, who was pastor here for 50 years and a great expositor of Scripture. And then the other man who built so much into my life was the late uh, Howard Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, he taught me so much about discipleship and about communication. And those two guys uh, have made an indelible impression on my life. And I think that's a theme that, that we see constantly is that pastors need other leaders, other pastors building into their lives. Um, how, how should, like if a, somebody's listening right now and they're like, man, I, I want... I want more of that in my life. I want more, you know, good things coming in. What are what are ways that you would recommend them them getting that? Boy, the best way, and the cheapest and easiest way is through what we're doing right now, is through the podcast. What a great resource God has given us to allow, you know, people we may never meet to still build into our lives, you know, great communicators, great preachers, great leaders. You know, you don't have to be sitting down face-to-face with somebody to be mentored by them. And I would just encourage pastors to, you know, um, find people that they respect and would like to listen to and start listening to them. It's interesting. Some people that now are great influences in my life, 
I first met via cassette tape when I was a pastor in a little church 35 years ago in Eastland, Texas. It never crossed my mind that I would ever actually meet these people, but I started being discipled by them by tapes, and, uh, and, uh, and I think that's a great resource for pastors who may never meet some of these people face-to-face. And I think that's so encouraging because a lot of times we feel like, oh, well, I, I'll never, I may never sit under a Howard Hendricks uh, or have that opportunity. But, you know, the great thing about so many of the great faith heroes that God has given us is that they have written down the lessons that they've taught yeah. and, and, you know, written books that have, you know, changed generation after generation. So, Dr. Jeffers, thank you so much for taking time to be with us uh, today. It, it is a privilege to, to talk to you, and uh, just thanks so much for the time. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks again to Pastor Robert Jeffers for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you took something away from this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, or review us in iTunes. This helps us to hear from you and understand uh, the types of episodes that are most valuable to you. And also, it helps us if you send this episode to somebody you know who might benefit from its message. You can always download the show notes for each episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast, where we put resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. We appreciate you as a listener. The show is about you. We're always trying to improve the podcast and make it more friendly for you, our listeners. And so thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.